Don't you just love this bear? He hangs in my buddy's house here, and I thought this would be a perfect place to say to all the burly men that are Oakwood Christian that I'm looking forward to coming and being with you and looking you in the eyes like this guy to ask this question. What does it mean to be a godly man today? What does it take to stand up to the challenges and temptations and to be the kind of loving and caring Christian leader that all our churches need? We're going to open God's Word. We're going to laugh some, might even talk about the bear, and have some fun. So bring a friend to the men's conference at Oakwood Christian on Friday and Saturday, August 26th and 27th. I'll be there, and I'll look forward to seeing you. Too bad I can't bring him. See you there. That's right. So it's time to sign up. So what we figured out as we were talking this week as church staff is I think we're little over 100 signed up so far. We're hoping to have two, 200 or more. And um, all of the Sooners have signed up, you know, because the Sooners are always, you know, early adopters and they're, you know, the whole story of the Sooners, you know. So Cowboys, it's your turn, okay? It's the week of, it's time to sign up. So all the Sooners are signed up. Now we need the Cowboys to sign up. Was that a ticked off half of our church there, but uh, no, we, we want you to sign up for men's crimes. If you're one of those that you're a late adopter and you're, you're waiting till last minute, this is the last minute. So go ahead and grab your phone. Uh, do that. Go to Oakwood, uh, oakwood.church slash events. Sign up for uh, Burley Men's Conference this weekend. It's going to be awesome uh, with Jeff. Now, if you're one of those that you're like, man, I want to sign up. I don't know how to do all this thing on my phone and all this. We have taken care of that for you as well today. To remove all barriers and excuses for you, we have live sign up in the lobby right after the service. So if you go out there to the Burley table, there'll be someone there that can actually sign you up live right there. You don't have to do it on your phone through the app or anything like that. So if that helps you out, uh, be sure to go out there right after the service. Uh, we'll get you signed up. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to be that guy that comes to church, you know, the next couple of weeks and you see all these burly sheer shirts and you don't have one because, you know, you were that guy that didn't sign up and you didn't come. So uh, come. It's going to be really great. We're going to make a lot of memories. We're going to have a lot of fun. There's going to be some male orneriness, you know. I know that, I, I don't know why, but, but I heard that Seibel bought a potato gun. Um, yeah, it's, we, we don't know what's happening, but Friday night, we're going to have a lot of fun uh, after that session, and, and Jeff's really pumped to be here with us. And don't forget also, the next Sunday, Jeff's going to actually uh, preach in both Sunday morning services next week. Um, his, his sermon's entitled, Advice from Joe, as he looks at a, a cool thing with the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. So, uh, man, great weekend to be involved in God's church, so be a part of that. Ladies, thank you for your support. I know many of you are signed up to help with greeting or help serve the food, uh, help us during the break and the lobbies and all that kind of stuff. We really appreciate that. Um, also, ladies, there's a way for you to be involved even more directly than that in that, you know, at a men's conference, you have to have homemade brownies and chocolate chip cookies, okay? And, and whatever cookies you want to make, okay? Baked goods. We want baked goods, finger foods. And so if you can help us out with that, you also can go out to the Burley table right after the service and sign up. Um, a few dozen baked goods. Um, we're hoping to have, I think, 50 dozen Maybe I was exaggeration on my part, but something like that, you know. So brownies, all that good stuff. So sign up for that. Be a part of that. Um, if you've been holding off, uh, man, I'm excited. It's just time, man. Let's, let's do it, guys. Let's get together. Let's sign up, and let's spend the weekend together and see how God grows the men of Oakwood. It's going to be great. So we've been in a series. This is part four of a series called He Speaks Deep as we've been looking at things that Jesus said, things that Jesus taught that were deep, sometimes conceptually deep. As in last week, because if you were here last week, you know, we had, you know, two weeks before we were talking about Jesus said, you know, got to forgive everyone or I can't forgive you. And then he goes on a step further and he says to love your enemies and to pray for those enemies. And you're like, what? I'm supposed to forgive my enemies, love my enemies, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. And then last week we read this passage where Jesus said, hate your mom and dad, your brother and sister, even your own life, or you cannot be my disciple. And we're like, wait a second, is that one of those contradictions where two weeks before, Jesus is saying, love your enemies, now he's saying, hate your parents. It's like, what is he talking about there? So if that's something that sparks interest in you, go back and watch those messages as we explained um, deep things of Jesus, deep things that he said and taught that sometimes need an explanation. Sometimes that's not the problem, though. The problem isn't that we don't understand what he's saying. I mean... We know the exaggeration about that you would love Jesus so much that it feels like hating your parents. I mean, we can understand these things. It's the application that's the hard part, right? It's the part where we actually apply the scripture to life. And so maybe that is your next step to following Jesus is to actually do what the scripture 
says. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Mark chapter 10. If you're following along on your phone, tablet, um, iPad, just go to the Oakwood app. Hit refresh at the bottom. Make sure you're on this week's notes. Go to sermon notes and all the notes will be right there for you as we uh, open up the word together this morning from Mark chapter 10. Last week we we went deep with understanding the, the call and the cost of discipleship from uh, Luke chapter 9, 23, where Jesus says, if anyone should come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And we unpacked that and learned about that. We, we, we learned from his teaching in Luke chapter 14. And now we get to, to Mark 10. Now, now Mark 10 is a little different because the first two weeks of this series were from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching a sermon and we, we're talking about different things that he taught from his sermon. Last week he's still teaching, doing something more direct. Today's passage is more of a conversation that he is having with his disciples. Now he's definitely holding them accountable. He's definitely asking them to do something, but it's in a completely different way than what we've been studying the last few weeks. And so today it's as if we're going to um, kind of be there and eavesdrop on this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples from Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 32. Let's, let's begin to read this together. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the 12 aside, and the 12 there is the 12 disciples, his, his, his closest friends, one have been following him so closely. Um, they've been following him at this time probably about two and a half years because they're starting this trek toward Jerusalem where there'll be Holy Week and where there'll be Jesus crucified on the cross. And, and so he took the 12 aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. Now listen to what Jesus says here in the red letters. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man, that is a term that Jesus used to describe himself. You see it's capitalized if you're following along in the text there. And he says, and the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, that's the, the Romans, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, this is one of the times in, in, in Scripture where Jesus gets really, really detailed here. I mean, he's telling his disciples exactly what's going to happen in detail, that uh, we're going to be handed over to the Gentiles, to, to Rome. They will mock me, they will spit on me, flog me, and kill me. But then, three days later, I will rise. He's, he will rise. And so he's, he's laid it all out, right? Very serious. It was very somber, very solemn. And he, he's telling this to the disciples to prepare them. Because there's going to be anguish and, and agony and, and, and great fear and trepidation. And so he's preparing them. Let's see how they respond to this news. So uh, next there in verse 35. It says, Then James and, Zon, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I wonder what they're going to ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, I don't know what you, I was, I was reading this and studying it. And I'm like, really? I mean, Jesus just shared some news that, that would just, just cut right to your soul. I mean, it just breaks your heart. And these guys' response, two of his disciples, two of his closest followers, his closest friends, are wanting to ask Hey, when you die and you go to heaven and you're in all your glory on the throne, can we be on the thrones to your right and to your left? Now look what Jesus, look how he responds, verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And Jesus, what he's talking about there is the, the suffering that he's going to endure, the, the great cup of suffering, the baptism by fire that, that he will endure in the coming days. Verse 39, the brothers respond, we can, they answered, really? And then Jesus said to them this, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And you know, if you follow the disciples and you follow their deaths, that they will indeed bear much suffering. In verse 40, Jesus says, though, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Verse 41, 
When the ten, that's the rest of the disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. I mean, they're just like, what are you doing? What are you, you know, what are you saying? And, and why would he pick you to be on the right and the left hand? And in verse 42, Jesus called them together, all the twelve, and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They they dominate them. That that word lord means to dominance or dominion. They they have dominion over them. And their high-ranking officials, they exercise authority over them. They, They flaunt their authority. They're like tyrants in how they rule their people. He says that to them, and then you get to verse 43, and Jesus says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, whoever wants to sit at my right hand and my left hand, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Several things from this passage this morning. The first one is this. Surrendering to Jesus will wreck your personal agenda. Surrendering to Jesus, coming to your faith in Jesus Christ, it is going to wreck your personal agenda. I've seen this happen so many times with Christians that we try to get Jesus to fit our agendas. Uh, Jesus, I have this agenda for my life. And I want to do this or to be this. And so, Lord, I'm going to ask you to bless me and give me the, 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 the talent that I need. Give me the abilities that I need. Give me the mindset. Give me the strength. Give me the power so that I can accomplish these things. My agenda. Jesus, help me fit yourself somewhere into my agenda. There's this person that I, want to, that I want to see and I want to date. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to, maybe it's to meet this girl or meet this guy. Or, or maybe it's, you know, that, that I can get up the guts to take them on date. And I just pray that you'd help them to fall in love with me so I can have this outcome that I want. Jesus, Jesus, come into my agenda and help me accomplish what I want and what I think is best for me. And come into my life and come into my Agenda And surely, Lord, you would want me to be elevated and to get this reward or to win this award or to be elevated to this position. And so we pray, oh, Lord, give me this. I want that. Bless me, Lord, I pray. Lord, help me accomplish my agenda. And so many people do this. So many Christians, I think, struggle with this. Have you ever tried to do this? You ever tried to... It's kind of like, let's make a deal, you know? Let's make a deal with God. Have you ever tried to do this? You make, make a deal with God? I, I remember uh, specifically several times in my life I used to do this. I remember in Bible college doing this a lot. You get that call for ministry on your life. Lord, if you'll bless me and you'll, you'll help me to, to meet this girl, you know, I'm going to be the best husband ever. I will be on the, the man of God book for marriage and it'll be great. And, and so... You know, Lord, if you'll, if you'll make sure that I can get through this, this uh, you know, contextual hermeneutics class and do well in it, then I promise, man, I'm going to parse Greek for the rest of my life in your name and do a great job. And, you know, Lord, if you'll have me, help me have worldly success here, um, if you could help me you know, have a job and have, have this money, this income, if you'll help me get this car. And, and, you know, we make these deals with God. God, if you'll give me this house, I promise you I'll do this. And Lord, if you, if you would help me um, get this and win this position, I promise every day at my new job making all this money, I will share the gospel with one person every day for the rest of my life. You ever prayed those prayers where you're making a deal with God? God, if you'll fit into my agenda, if you'll do what I want you to do and, and do it my way, Lord, I will do all these wonderful things for you. We make deals and try to negotiate with God and try to accomplish these outcomes that we want for our life. This is what's happening in the text here with the brothers, the sons of, the sons of Zeb. They have an agenda. They want to be winners. First and second seat. They have their own agenda that they want to be exalted. And if you think about it, that's a thing in the world, isn't it? back then and even today. I mean, this is sometimes why I have such a hard time and a heartburn with social media. I know there's some good things on social media. 
I know that Christians sometimes use that platform for God's glory, but there are many times where we use it to exalt ourselves. Oh, look at me. Look what I've accomplished. Look at this. There's this whole band, I learned this from having teenage daughters, um, influencers in social media. I remember them um, being shocked. And sometimes they talk about these people like they know them. I'm like, who are you talking about? And they're like, have you ever met them? No, but they're so-and-so and they're influencers. And I'm like, okay, so you're watching the influencer. But I remember these influencers have to put out this image that everything's great and perfect in their life and everyone gets interested in them and then they get product lines and they just make lots of money doing this and there was this perfect little family i mean they you know the husband's good looking the wife's good looking they have good looking kids they look like they got it all together and they're so happy and you know they're influencers and they got a million followers on you know and then all of a sudden they go through a rough time in their marriage they end up getting a divorce and i remember overhearing my girl's talking about, you know, what, man, what happened? It looked like life was perfect. I mean, man, they had the perfect, and they loved each other so much. They went on these exotic vacations. I mean, they were winning at everything and worldliness, but what was the problem? You know, the problem was their foundation was built on sand and not on the rock of Christ Jesus. And those worldly things will all crumble when the waves come. When the rains come down and the floods come up and the waves beat against the foundation, if it's not built on the rock of Christ Jesus and on kingdom principles and kingdom values, it will fall. And that's why surrendering to Jesus will wreck your personal agenda. Because we are to be living out and working out God's agenda for our lives and not trying to fit Jesus somewhere in to our agenda. Don't, don't try to conform Jesus to fit you. Conform yourself to be more like him. Second thing this morning, Jesus calls us to be distinctively different from the world as Christians. Distinctively different. That means we would have distinctives that are so different than the world. One of those that's really easy to point out is, is the world says climb the ladder to success. Exalt yourself. Make selfies. Take pictures. Make yourself look, exalt yourself to be successful. So everybody goes, oh, I want to be like you. Oh, you're so awesome. I want to be a person that wants to be like you. And, and, and the world says promote yourself, give yourself accolades, per, pursue worldly success at all costs. Because in the end, that's all that matters. Wrong, but, you know, the world would say that. And here's how Jesus would respond to all of this. As he responds to James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Look at verse 43 in the text. Not so with you. Not so with you. Different from the world. Not so with you. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, instead, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, must be the slave of all. And then he says, for even me, for even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, 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 give his life away for others. Not to be served, but to serve and to give your life away. Now that's the distinctive from the world, because the world says, no, take, 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 consume, 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 exalt self, it's a doggy dog world, take care of yourself, put everyone else down, put yourself up, get followers of you, not followers of Jesus, but followers of you, so that you can build your kingdom here and have all this world has to offer. And Jesus says, not so with you. If you want to be great in the kingdom, then you will serve others, not treat others as subservient to you. And you will give your life, and you'll use your time, you'll use the talents that God's given you, you'll use your personal testimony about Jesus and the difference he's made in your life, and you'll use your tithe, you'll use some of your money to serve God's kingdom. Your time, talent, testimony, and tithe to serve God's kingdom. And that's distinctively different than the world. When the world says, no, pursue money, good looks and beauty and ability, 
All those things are built on sand. Jesus says, what, what did he say a few weeks ago? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and then all these other things will fall into place. All these other things will be added to you as well. Different from the world. Third thing this morning. A call to follow Jesus is a call to serve the kingdom by serving others. That's what he says. Not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. I affectionately like to call this kingdom work. I didn't coin that phrase. It came from Christ in Youth. But at Christ in Youth Conference calls students to be leaders at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. It says God has prepared kingdom work. We get that from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He's got kingdom work that he's prepared in advance for you to do that you would walk out in it. And a call to Jesus is a call to come and serve the kingdom by serving other people. Again, it's this idea of, what did Jesus say there? Give your life Away, And we are kingdom servants to our King Jesus, and we do what the King tells us to do. And so we step up, and we step out in faith, and we serve within the body of Christ. We serve, not to be served, but to serve. For some of us, if we're being honest and we're, we're here this morning because we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we want to feel close to Christ, this may be your next step in growth. This may be your next step in maturity, is that you are no longer one who comes to be served all the time, but now you're giving over to service. Sometimes I think the greatest spiritual growth I see in people is not attending another Sunday school class or another Bible study, but teaching the Sunday school class or the Bible study. I mean, you got you to gotta think of this. If you've been in, like, in, in a group for like 40 years, at what point do you say, man, I need to do this with some other people? Right? I need to step up into leadership. I should be leading. I should be teaching. I've learned enough. I mean, how much can a person learn? I mean, do, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're all lifelong learners. I mean, I'm still learning stuff about Scripture every day. There's something I learned in this passage I'm going to share in a little bit that was just like, aha. And yet I've read it and understand it and preached it and taught it before. But yet, God still speaks. God still moves. We still need to be growing in that direction. But there's this other facet that I think so many Christians like to kind of get off the growth train the growth progress on and that's it i'm going to stop short of serving i'm just going to be served and yet sometimes taking that next step of faith into a ministry is exactly what god has called you to do for some of you getting out of your comfort zone for some of you just taking that next step I, I actually not just saying i have faith in jesus christ i have faith i have a saving faith in jesus christ but you're going to actually going to exercise that faith by stepping into what god might be calling you to do to serve others to serve the kingdom and for many that's the next step to following christ jesus it's not another study those studies are good it's actually stepping into some kind of kingdom work. We've tried to make this really easy. We've been talking about this for weeks as church staff, and I told them this was coming in the series. And So uh, maybe when you came in today, if, if you're a member here, a lot of times our members will park in the back and come in these doors. You guys probably saw the lobby, and you're like, whoa, there's stuff everywhere in here. If you're a guest this morning, you probably came in these doors. We invite everyone, guests and members alike, to go right out these doors after this service and to look, because this is what I ask the staff to do. Take all of your ministry areas, all the kingdom work spots that you're like, man, I've just been praying and hoping somebody will step into this ministry and make those available out there. They're on little cards. You can read them. Our staff, as much as possible, because I know children's ministry, it's hard for them to be out there because they're checking kids in and out and all that stuff. But um, our staff is going to be out there at those tables in their different ministry areas right after this service. And I think it'd be great to fill all the spots, right? I mean, we have, we have more than enough. We could be two or three deep at every position, training kingdom workers for kingdom work to serve God's kingdom. Because you didn't come to be served, right? But Jesus said, but to serve and to give your life. And I know some of you, the, the, the problem has been that you, you want to find the spot. You know, it's like, I, I thought it was this ministry, and I did that one time, and I tried it with this. My thing is, like, you're called to kingdom work. It's going to happen at some place in some way. Don't give up. For some of you, I know, if you're like me, because I'm very utilitarian with this, very pragmatic with this stuff sometimes, I always think of, like, where would I best fit 
for the most impact and what do I, what am I interested in? What are, you know, what's my skill set? What's the thing that I really love to do? You know, it's like, if I like working with youth, then I should probably sign up for youth ministry. And if I like, you know, with the little kids, I ought to be with the little kids. And if I, I like doing sports and outreach and, and doing that kind of stuff, if I like making coffee at the snack bar and enjoy serving people that way, then I should sign up over at the activity center. And, and, and you know, you think about these things, you get caught up, but what if God's calling you to some area that you don't feel equipped for, that you're not sure you're that good at, and he is going to exercise that deep faith you have in him to raise you up to be a kingdom worker in that neck of the woods. And because you're having to lean into that faith more, it's going to grow you. You're going to find out, man, I didn't think I could do this. I didn't think I could ever lead. You're talking about leading a group? Maybe leading a ministry team? Are you serious? No, not me. I'm not a leader. And yet, maybe that's exactly what God is calling you to do. Because some of you, you've been having these dreams and these conversations and these prayers with God for a long time. You just don't ever take the next step, which is to do it. To just step out in faith and do what God is calling you to do. And there's so many opportunities. I mean, I think about what's out there. I think about Dalton. Um, he's, our, he's our Oak director in the Oak. He has, he has all these ideas. In fact, we have a meeting this week set up where he's given me like his fall and winter plan, okay? Do you know what stands between his fall and winter plan for outreach to our community through sports and outreach venues? People that will step up and be coaches and be supportive, that will help with the sports leagues, that will work the snack bar, that will help greet people. They'll help teach kids and do devotions with them. People. That's probably what stands away. Sometimes for children's and for youth ministry, as we're discipling the next generation of Christ followers, it's just people. Why can't I do this idea? Well, I don't have enough people. We spend sometimes in our staff meetings praying for more people. And yet the people are here. They just maybe haven't adopted what Jesus said. I'm, I'm here to be served. But to, but to serve and to give my life away. It's uncomfortable. I've never done that. I don't know. But that is maybe your next step to following Christ Jesus. And really this all dovetails into number four. As we mature in Christ, we shift from consumers to contributors in God's kingdom. We make this shift from consumers to contributors in God's kingdom. Now, if you are new to Oakwood, newer to Oakwood, maybe new to the faith, maybe you've been a Christian, maybe I know that we've baptized about 15 people in the last eight weeks. Uh, maybe you're one of those. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people that, that, you know, I'm new to the faith. Yes, you are in a season of growth through teaching. You need to be taught the Bible. You need to be in Wednesday night discipleship every week. You need to be in Sunday school classes. You need to be in small groups. You need to be, you need to be soaking up as much as you can to accelerate your growth in Jesus Christ. And to some degree, we all need to be fed, right? We need to all be in relationships and have Bible studies and stuff that's outside of the rows on Sunday morning, but in circles where we can support and love and encourage and learn from one another. And so to some degree, yes, we all need to be consumers. We need to have that time where we consume. But don't let your faith, don't let exercising your faith stop there. Don't just come to be served, to have God's word cut up on a plate and handed to you every week, but to serve, to take that next step toward following Christ Jesus. And so there's no shame and being one that comes and that's in a D group on Wednesday nights or that comes and is in somebody's discipleship group that meets another time of the week. But don't stop there. Get involved at a deeper level and serve. Make that shift as part of your life from being a consumer, one that just comes in and consumes the resources of God's church, to being a contributor that now is a part of the body of Christ that is active and contributing, using your time resources, your talents that God has given you, your testimony, your story of coming to Christ Jesus, your tithe money, using all those resources, giving it to the kingdom, and watch how God will use that to do what? To do what? What's the end goal? It's to mature. It's to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to mature in Christ. It's not to be content to just consume. There's so many people that that's where it stops. It's like, I attend church regularly. I consume the services every week, but there's so much more. When you give your life to service, 
I feel like that's the acceleration of spiritual growth in so many lives is when you serve the kingdom. There are exponential growth possibilities both for you personally and for God's church. Imagine if we activate 800 people to serve our community, to serve the kingdom through kingdom work. What what would the church look like and what could we accomplish? What could we do? What could we do if we took that step of faith. As you grow in service to God's kingdom too, I, I do feel like I need to give you a very honest warning. When you step up and you step out in faith, it changes you. You'll be changed. You'll be changed as your priorities shift. You're going to be changed. And I know some of you are like right now, is, I don't need that much change. I'm a good person. But some of you are like, yeah, man, I, man, I want to grow. I want to change. I mean, you've experienced this in your life. You know that person that came to Christ Jesus, and then like two years later, they look nothing like they were before. You're like, who was that guy before? It's like, man, he's changed so much. Did you talk to him? Oh, my goodness. What work has Jesus done in his life? His character, his morality, his fervor for the gospel and for sharing his, his personal evangelism, his Bible study habits, his prayer life. And you look at these people and you see that there was maturity, that there was growth. They didn't stay the same. Do you think the disciples, that Jesus just left them there, that they just stayed the same? Those guys that seem like failures, like what we read about today with James and John, they go on to lead God's church in the book of Acts some of them help write the rest of the Bible, and they all pretty much die a martyr's death because of the faith they had in Jesus Christ. They were following Jesus to the very end. I don't care. They drag me through the streets behind a horse until I die. Throw me off a building. Run me through with a spear. Crucify me upside down on a cross because I don't want to be crucified the same way as my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because I revere him so much. Whatever it was... They were all in. How did they get there? Growth. Deeper faith. Deeper steps into God's kingdom service, which led them to deeper places with Jesus. They don't stay the same. It will change you. When you step up from consumerism to contribution in God's ministry and God's church, it's going to change you. You are different. You are challenged. I remember one time I was talking to somebody that was talking about preparing lessons for uh, children. Uh, Sunday school teacher. And I just remember them, them, them sitting there saying, you know, oh yeah, you know, I'm preparing this lesson. And, but they're amazed at how God was using that lesson prep for like, I think it was like first and second graders to like grow them spiritually. I mean, it was amazing. I'm like reading this Bible because I got to know what it says. I'm teaching it to the kids. I want to make sure I'm right. And so I studied it more and I got into this a little more and I read this. And I studied this. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. It's amazing how when you step into contribution into God's kingdom and you come to serve, how God uses that to stretch you, not only stretch you, but just to grow you, to feed you, to raise you up. He's going to equip you and give you everything that you need if you will just trust in him. Remember what he said. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. All of these things will line out and fall into place. Just come to me, serve me, follow me, and make me first in your life. As I was reading the text, sometimes you read beyond, and I talked about this last week, how sometimes I, I hate that the English Bible, I mean, I get that we need it for reference sake, we're studying it and stuff, but sometimes, you know, there's a subheading, which is like a hard break for us in scriptures, like I'm going to read, and there's a subheading, so I stop reading, or I get to a chapter, the next chapter, and I stop reading, even though that chapter really goes right into this chapter. I mean, a lot of what we read in the New Testament, there were, there were form letters and books that were like one document. It kind of happens here in our text because you get to the end of verse 45 where Jesus has just said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We stop right there, and my subheading says, blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. And you're like, oh, this is the, the next story in the journey of Jesus, you know, sometime, you know, three months later. And sometimes when we read this stuff, it's like that instant, the next day, a few hours later, maybe that evening Maybe it's the next day, maybe it's the next week, but sometime right shortly after that. And I was reading this, I learned something that I had never learned before. Let's read this together, beginning with verse 46. 
It says, then they came to Jericho. So Jesus with the disciples and the crowds that came to Jericho. And then Jesus and, and Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, okay, so that's the bar Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And he's blind. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth coming, he heard people talking about it. He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Can you picture can you picture this? You're blind, and you find Jesus of Nazareth that you've heard all these stories about. The great healing rabbi, the great teacher is coming. He is walking by you, and he doesn't, can't see, right? So what's he doing? He's screaming at the top of his lungs. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many, verse 48, many rebuked him and, and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Hey, cheer up over there uh, on, your, on your feet. He's calling you. Can you imagine what that moment was like for Bartimaeus? The teacher, the rabbi, Jesus, Jesus, like the Jesus, is, is, he heard my cry and he's, 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 call, he's calling me? So throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And then in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. Wait a minute. When I, when I was studying this, I was like, wait, I just, I, I read that somewhere. Like the exact same words. I even went to the Greek to make sure it was exactly the same. It's, exact, it's exactly the same. Do you remember where we read this earlier? It's verse 36. Go back to verse 36. Remember what has happened. Jesus says, I'm going to die and be whipped and beaten and die and go and I'll rise on the third day. And these brothers come to him. Hey, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And Jesus says to them in verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? And then we get down to verse 51, just 15 verses later. And Jesus asked someone else, what do you want me to do for you? It's the exact same question. The first time it was to spiritual people. Okay, it was to his disciples, his closest friends, his followers, the ones he'd been teaching. And you know what the outcome was. What do you want me to do for you? Oh, please make us great. Oh, please, please, Lord, make us great. We want to sit at your right and your left hand, and we want to be gl like glorious in all of your glory. And, and what does the blind beggar, unbeliever, but he had hope that Jesus might be able to help him Jesus says to him in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, and the blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. I want to see. Give me eyes to see. And then look how Jesus responds. Because sometimes in these healing passages, you know, Jesus says, rub mud on your eyes, right? Jesus says, do this. Jesus says, do that. Um, sometimes I think Jesus has that moment, you know, like in Star Wars where it's like, you know, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. You know, he just waves his hand and they're healed. But look what he says here. He says, go, said Jesus, your faith, your faith in me has healed you. That faith that will cry out from a roadside when you're blind and you don't even know if I'm going to listen. That faith that says Jesus is coming by, but he probably won't have time for you. You can't even find him because you're blind and Jesus says, that faith that calls out, what, is, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, I want to see. Like, just have the same ability that other people have. <laughs> Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and then did what? Followed Jesus. Along the way. And I read that and I was like, wow. Here's a guy outside of the faith that chooses to put his faith in Jesus. He gets healed and he follows Jesus. And yeah, here's disciples that have been following Jesus and hanging out with him closely for two and a half years that are more worried about what? Worldly success and worldly accolades than kingdom's principles and kingdom things. When Jesus speaks deep to us, when Jesus speaks deep to us, he calls us. 
And he calls us and he tells us, hey, not, not to be served, but to serve. Oh, what about my hashtag self? No, no, not so with you. Not elevating your platform and yourself, but elevating me. And elevating me in such a way that you serve others and people look and go, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, note, that person has been with Jesus. As we come into our time of communion this morning, I want to end with this just because it's appropriate, it ties in so well. John chapter 13. In John's gospel chapter 13, Jesus, just to lay the foundation of what we're going to read here, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. You know what's going to happen. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of John's gospel is called the upper room discourse. Those five chapters are him in the upper room with the disciples talking to them the night that he was betrayed. He's there to observe Passover with them, and he's going to transform Passover into holy communion for the very first time. When he says, take the, eat, this is my body. Let's just, let's just read the text. John 13, beginning with verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal... He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. What is Jesus doing? After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to one of his disciples, Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now this, this is something that's cultural that sometimes we don't understand. The way they recline at a table for these meals is they sit on one hip and so they're kind of laying on their side. That's why they say they reclined at the table. They're leaning on an elbow, kind of laying on their side. So their feet are like right there. Their feet were, were you know, it wasn't like take off your shoes and socks at the door. I mean, they're sometimes barefoot. They sometimes have sandals. And the dusty area there, that they're, they have dirty feet. And so it was customary that if you're going to recline at the table and sit, you don't want these dusty, dirty, smelly feet right there. And so it was customary for the servant of the home, as soon as you entered, they would wash your feet. Because you didn't want those stinky feet right there while you're trying to eat. I mean, it just makes sense. It was just a cultural thing. But Jesus here has obviously dismissed the servant of the house, and he's doing this himself. And look at the response from Simon Peter in verse 7. Jesus replied, or, or verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. He said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You're the son of God. You're our leader. Leaders don't wash feet. Verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, well then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, well, not just my feet, but my, my, my hands, my, my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said that not everyone was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing the disciples' feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And picture this moment with Jesus, the Son of God. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. No response. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, the Lord, and the teacher, the authority, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. See, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. But now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do what? Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. And even into the time in the upper room, if you read the rest of the discourse here, Jesus takes the bread and says, this now represents my body, which is broken for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. And he takes the cup of the Passover cup and he says, this cup now represents my blood, which is about to be poured out for you here in about 12 hours. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And when you assemble and come together, make this a part of your worship that you remember my sacrifice, my body and my blood. What are the disciples gonna remember as they take that first communion together? Jesus was a servant to lay the foundation for this meal so we would recline and be comfortable. He washed our feet. His service didn't stop in that room. His service didn't stop serving and loving people and offering his life out until the cross of Calvary the next day. Let that be a challenge for us to be servants in the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, before we take communion now, the great privilege and honor we have. Lord, you call all of those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who call you Savior and Lord. Lord, you invite us around your table to commune with you. And Lord, we learned in text last week that, that you say, so a man ought to examine himself before he takes the bread in the cup. And so Lord, we're in that moment now where we examine ourselves and we look at our life. We say, am I aligned with you or am I bringing my own agenda in and hoping that some way I can make you fit it? Lord, in this moment, before we take communion, can we see that in the shadow of the cross was a humble servant who would even wash feet and then challenge these men to go and do likewise? Lord, for some of us, and the way we're living our life, the way we're building our platform, and the, just what we're about is our agenda and our life and the self-exaltation that, that the culture has sold to us as a bill of goods. Lord, to us this morning, you appear into our face and you say, not so with you. Not so with you. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for money. Lord, may we align our lives with that agenda to step up and to be servants of you. And as we take this communion right now, and we remember your sacrifice, which makes all of this following that we need to do, it makes it possible through your Holy Spirit that you've given us and through the power of the resurrected life of a believer through the cross. Lord, we're grateful as we take the bread and the cup and remember that you paid it all for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a few minutes this morning and commune with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. if you would, um, in this moment, to stand with me as we take an opportunity to just respond to what we've heard by declaring that we will put our trust in the promises of Jesus Christ, not this world.
Good morning, Oakwood. I hope that you have enjoyed your time with us uh, this last hour. I'm Alan Seibel, Associate Pastor, and I really hope that each and every week that when you get the opportunity to come uh, worship with us, that it just lifts your day and, and prepares you for the week ahead. We had something that we did last week, last uh, Sunday afternoon called Feed the Neighborhood. We partnered with about five other churches and we've got some pictures that we wanna show you where we helped serve our community. Uh, this is some of our, our serve team there. 
we handed out backpacks uh, with school supplies and vouchers with socks and underwear uh, vouchers there. Uh, there were haircuts. They, some of the nurses were there to give some health screening, uh, prepare for the vaccinations and things for, for school. Then across the, the street, this all happened at the Stride Center. This was at the David Allen where we had some bounce houses and some food and there's Corey uh, with his OU hat on. You helped provide a, a lot of supplies. In fact, we collected $3,300 through our dollar club over four weeks and so I want to thank you for that because you really benefited the kingdom. And I really almost think that the greatest benefit from partnering with, with these other churches is not just that we get to serve the community, that we get to serve with each other. All the other churches in Enid that serve together. And you see that we're one great big army serving an awesome king. And so that is a great thing to see the community come together and to serve Jesus and uh, to serve each other. Thank you for that. Uh, we try to update you on our dollar club. That's the little boxes in the lobby that we just encourage you uh, to put a dollar in each week and it goes to help some of those community events. Um, before we take up our, our offering today, I just want to remind you that today is Commitment 101 at 4 o'clock in the dining room. So uh, maybe you've been attending for a while. Maybe you're thinking, I'm ready to take that next step. This is kind of a, a deep dive in Oakwood and into our beliefs, how we're structured, uh, missions that we support. Pretty much we'll be able to answer almost any question that you have about Oakwood Christian Church. And maybe you're ready to, to make that next step. Uh, and maybe to, to decide this is my church home. And so we want to invite you today to Commitment 101 at 4 o'clock. We uh, take up an offering each and every Sunday, and we are thankful that you are faithful in your giving, and you just provide the needs of the church. And you can see on the screens there the different ways we try to make giving as easy for you as, as possible. Uh, the little boxes at the back, if you want to make a, a donation there on your way out. So I want to remind you also that each and every Sunday, maybe you've got something pressing in your heart. Maybe you've been touched through the worship, the message. Maybe you need someone to pray with you today. Some of our staff and elders will be up here uh, at the front here. and We'd be glad and, and honored to pray with you, to minister to you during this time. And also want to remind you about our serve tables back there. Uh, hopefully you were challenged today to really take a step forward and serve the kingdom of God. So would you uh, please stand as we're going to pray and dismiss Thank God for his faithfulness. Lord, we just thank you for providing for our needs. Lord, you take care of us and you ask so little. You ask that we just return a portion of what you blessed us with. I pray that you would bless each and every gift that's given, that you would use it, stretch it, and Father, that the kingdom would be advanced. We celebrate with what we were able to do and partner with the churches through the Feed the Neighborhood campaign. We just are thankful for that. Lord, I just pray that uh, you prepare us for a great week. Put people in our path that need to hear the hope that we have of Jesus Christ. And may we be prepared to give them an answer when they ask. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week serving Jesus.